Hey, Mark. Yes? It's our 25th episode. We've done a quarter of a hundred. Yay! We made it. We could almost get to the hopeful three digits that you label our episode scripts with. Yeah, they're all labeled 025 or whatever. They're very optimistic. Yeah. I think we're going to do it. We can do it. I I believe believe in us. So it's exciting. We've made it here 25 episodes. Thank you all for... uh, following us thus far or if you're new thanks for joining us there's 24 other episodes to listen to yeah get excited get ready the back catalog holds some gems and some weird ones too yeah by the way right about now we are also posting our list of the movies we're going to be doing throughout may and june so yeah. we've got some exciting ones coming up, some ones that people have requested. We've got some guests coming on. Oh, yeah. We're going to be pretty our guests fun. back. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. We haven't had any guests since Mr. Mom. Oh, yeah. With the moms. The Momsterpiece Theater. So we got some good stuff coming your way. Keep sending those suggestions to us at Heart of Podness or at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Keep telling all your friends about us. We love getting new listeners. Yeah, this episode is a listener suggestion. So yeah. Definitely use those and are always looking for feedback and ideas we love seeing you on twitter with all of our various hashtags shout out to albert for being a very interactive twitter user but anyway speaking of our listenership and trying to grow that i actually have a message that i want to play in honor of our 25th episode oh my gosh i will be right over or heart of podness It's me, Marjorie Erickson, from the Acquisitions Department at NPR. It's been a while since we've talked, but I just wanted to boop in to congratulate you on your 25th episode. We've already replaced the Kansas City Politics Hour with Heart of Podness. And if things go well, we'll be slotting you in instead of car talk reruns in Missoula before the end of the month. Tell your listeners to keep spreading the word to build up your audience, because summer is a great time for the whole family to get together to listen to the podcast, you know. By the way, I'm also pleased to announce that while we haven't gotten you on NPR One yet, we have found a sponsor. So, this episode of The Heart of Podness is brought to you by Square Apron. Square Apron is the all-in-one platform to help you make delicious websites right in your home. This week, we're recommending baked chicken HTML with a side of oregano. Just go to squareapron.com slash I've seen Puss in Boots to sign up for your first month free. Again, that's squareapron.com slash I've seen Puss in Boots. And now, if you use the offer code BFAX, they'll throw in a free Lisa mattress. Lisa, the mattress you don't even have to leave bed to get. Congrats again on the big two five, guys. Be in touch soon. Uh, so good to hear from Marjorie. I was a little worried. I thought that we had fallen by the wayside, but it seems like she's been doing a lot of work for us. Yeah, she's been really putting the legwork in here. So I was originally going to say this off mic, but whatever. Uh, I looked into squareapron.com. Yeah. I can have it for $12. Oh my God. And I'm trying to be better about not buying stupid things. But I can have it for $12. For a year? Yeah. Oh my, we should do it. We should make a square apron. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) We'll let you know if it happens. But Marjorie does raise another good point, which is that summer is a great time to listen to podcasts. We love podcasts. We love the love. I always pick up a couple over the summer. It's a great way to do your summer. So we are officially launching our hashtag podcast summer campaign, where we want you to tell somebody that you know, or someone you don't know, 
about Heart of Podness and get them to actually listen to an episode. Just stand on some street corners, start screaming at strangers. Whenever someone gives me their phone, I go into the podcast app and just subscribe them to Heart of Podness. Yeah, so you can work on that, get us some new subscribers. But when you do that, then tell us the story, tweet it at us, at Heart of Podness, hashtag podcast summer and we'll read your tweet on the show yeah we're looking forward to hearing from you all we're really excited we're going to be working on it too yeah we are committed this is it here's to the next 25 summer came in with a bang here in silver spring going from 50 to 90 within two days so we're feeling the heat we're deep in the summer so it's a good time to get started yeah okay uh it's time for heart of podness i'm mark and i'm gay and i'm will and i'm a ginger and this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? Are these people actually dateable? Or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. And like we said earlier, this week we've got a listener suggestion from Josette, who pointed out, fairly, that we haven't done a great job on showcasing more diverse creators or stories. So at her suggestion, this week we watched Chris Rock's 2014 feature, Top 5. Yeah, and I personally, honestly, had never even heard of this movie. I knew that it existed, and I knew it was Chris Rock. Yeah, and I feel like part of that is because it was marketed, I'm guessing, as a black movie. Probably. And there's a weird line drawn in Hollywood around movies with more than one black character, as we saw with Hitch, where they cast Ava Mendez so that the other lead wouldn't be black, so it wouldn't be pigeonholed as a black movie. Right. And so it's just that weird thing where it's like, I don't remember seeing any advertisements for this at all. I definitely saw, like, posters for it at the movie theater, but that's about it. Yeah, no trailers or anything, which, you know, is a problem because this movie was really funny. I thought it was okay. I found it to be a very medium movie. There were some really good jokes in there. There were some solid jokes. I laughed out loud at a couple points. Oh, good. I enjoyed the movie. That's I also, it should be worth noting, I watched this movie on a bus, which is fine. I was watching it on my iPad. But what that meant was I started it at the bus stop and then watched most of it on my bus ride home from work, which meant that I was sitting there on the bus and I think there was one student from my school seated a couple rows behind me, so they couldn't actually see anything on my iPad. But we got to the Cedric the Entertainer sequence and I was like, I am in public right now. Yeah. (laughs) And I was very conscious of that. Oh man. There's definitely some graphic content in this film. They're going for a little bit of gross-out humor. It's not even that much gross-out humor. They're just honestly just nudity, like a lot. That's true. Many boobies. Um, But yeah, thought it was really fun. I thought Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson had a lot of witty banter. Oh, they definitely did. And it's worth noting this movie is both written and directed by Chris Rock. According to one thing I saw, he wrote it in his trailer while shooting Grown Ups 2. There was a Grown Ups 2? Yes, there was. Oh boy. I had no so, idea about that. At least something worthwhile came out of Grown Ups 2. Oh my god. I couldn't find a production budget for the movie, but it premiered at TIFF in 2014, and Paramount paid 12 million bucks for it. And it opened to $6 million when it came out, and ultimately went on to make 25. So, good, solid performance. Yeah. Nothing to uh, look poorly on. Apparently, Chris Rock, in the writing, he wanted to do, like, a movie version of the sort of lives of comedian TV shows, like Seinfeld or Louie or Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. Which is why the character is very much a comedian, but it's not really about his comedy. Right. And it's also, I feel, in part inspired by the character of Tracy Jordan from 30 Rock. Okay. In that he has a background in comedy. He did a bunch of series where he plays an animal that he gets pigeonholed into, as in 
fat bitch from 30 Rock, where people keep asking when they're going to get another fat bitch movie, which is like hammy in this. So Um, I thought this movie was very autobiographical. Oh, for sure. I watched this movie and I was like, this movie is about Chris Rock. I was like, like, this movie is more autobiographical than The Big Sick. Oh, yeah. It's the most autobiographical thing we've seen. Oh, for sure. And Hammy is Madagascar. Right. Hammy is Melman the Giraffe from Madagascar. No, it's Marty the Zebra. Melman the Giraffe oh, Melman is voiced by David Schwimmer. I thought it was Ben. Who's Ben Stiller? He's ben the Stiller's lion. Ben Stiller's the lion. Right. God I, will. I saw that movie in theaters and that was it. Me too. I'm impressed with myself that I pulled the name Melman out. But the other thing is that he tries to make his own serious movie like Tracy Jordan does with where he plays every character in the Thomas Jefferson movie. But so that's also reflective of Chris Rock at the time because he spent the entire press tour talking about how the movie he wanted to make was a Nat Turner movie and that he was working on a script for a Nat Turner movie and that's what he wanted to do. So Tracy Jordan is more based off of Chris Rock than anything else. Well, except this movie came out after 30 Rock was over. True, but maybe they were following Chris Rock's story secretly in the background yeah he had this whole thing that he was talking about in a ton of different interviews about how that's what he wanted to make and then of course two years later birth of a nation comes out yeah which more than anything else birth of a nation is just kind of boring i didn't watch it i did just wasn't that good yeah it's not that bad either it's boring they made nat turner boring because it's such a great story to it go is. from alas alas but you know back on track other fun fact about this movie it was co-produced by kanye and jay-z that's pretty cool which also is funny because both of them get dropped into people's top five rappers yeah but i feel like that's not pandering i feel like oh that's a valid opinion oh for sure they're definitely in people's top five yeah apparently they were particularly useful in getting rights for all the music they use in the movie including jay-z's which is the opening song i believe and the closing song and also Questlove helped to mix the music for the movie oh Questlove, Questlove. He's great. He curated the music at the first March for Science. Did he really? It was awesome. Yeah, there was like, there were so many good actors in this movie too. And just popping up all over the place. Oh yeah. And sometimes he was well, sometimes they're Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, that was interesting. Jerry Seinfeld's film career is low-key the theme of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. Uh, I enjoyed Whoopi the most out of that scene. Mostly because anytime she's playing Whoopi, she's incredible. Speaking of Whoopi, she came up in some of the interviews from the press tour that I was reading because somebody at Uproxx was asking Chris Rock about Hammy the Bear. And the guy at Uproxx was saying like, oh yeah, I believe this kind of ridiculous thing. Like, Hammy the Bear is a character that Chris Rock's character had played in a series of movies in which he is a dude in a bear suit. He is, in the movie, he is a bear. Yeah. But it's not CG. It's just a dude in a bear suit who is also a cop. And in this interview with Uproxx, at first Chris Rock was saying that it was his take on Black Guy Does a Cop Movie. But then this is his follow-up when he kept talking. Quote, I remember Whoopi had a movie where her partner was a dinosaur. No! There's a movie. I never saw it. All I know is Whoopi Goldberg's on the cover of a poster, and she's a cop, and her partner's a dinosaur. Oh boy, Chris Rock, you gotta watch this movie. The poster for this movie, it's called Theodore Rex. The poster hangs in our living room. It is about five feet away from Will. It's an incredible film. Google the poster at the very least. Theodore Rex. It was the most expensive direct-to-video film of all time at its release because they had to sue Whoopi Goldberg into honoring her contract to stay in the movie. Oh my god. Yeah, just read the Wikipedia page. 
There's also a really excellent oral history of it that came out about three years ago. Yeah. That's worth reading. Wow. But also, just watch the movie. Oh my god, just watch it. It's a masterpiece. Get really drunk first. Mark owns it on DVD. I do. So if you want to borrow it, just send me a prepaid package and I'll send it to you. I almost bought a Laserdisc version of it. I think buying a DVD is much more responsible than buying a Laserdisc version. Look, I'm the guy who's talking about buying SquareApron.com, so we all know where I'm coming from. Oh my god. Theodore Rex. Now, the other big thing that comes out of this movie, speaking of hilarious stuff, is there are a bunch of jokes about Tyler Perry movies in it. Yeah. And at one point they make a joke about they were just like walking along and they pass a poster. Oh my god, I know what you're gonna say. A Tyler Perry Halloween movie. Yeah. The movie Boo a Medea Halloween is based on that joke. Is it really? Yes. Oh my god. So in this movie they walk past a poster for a Medea Halloween and one of the producers of Medea movies saw that and called up Tyler Perry and was like, we should make this movie. Oh my god. And so now there's that. And then last year we had Boo, Boo 2, 2, a Medea Halloween. Stop it. I've never seen a Medea movie. Me neither. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. So should we start talking about the romance? Uh, sure. The last thing I want to note before we move on is, you know, I love alternate names for things when they're in development. Right. This was originally developed under the name Finally Famous, which I think is interesting in what it reflects about the vision of the story. Right. Because Finally Famous, and maybe we can talk about this more at the end, reflects a movie where Chris Rock's character, Andre, is excited about where he is and is like, thank goodness, now I'm here. Whereas Top 5 the movie we get is more about the sort of conversational wandering movie that it really is. I agree. I think Finally Famous is a good name for a movie, but not, not this, this movie. movie. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, let's uh, let's dive into this movie a little bit. So this movie is A Day in the Life of Andre Allen, played by Chris Rock, and he's got a movie coming out called Uprise with a Z. <laughs> yeah. Uprise is the story of a Haitian rebel who was part of the Haitian Revolution, where they rose up and killed tens of thousands of white people to end slavery on the island of Haiti and free it from French colonial rule. Right. So as part of the release of that movie, he's doing the press junket and is supposed to be talking to a bunch of journalists. And one of them that he'll be talking to is Chelsea, played by Rosario Dawson, a New York Mm -hmm. Times reporter. So to start off with our first point, we should just really start off with the beginning of the movie after a prologue scene that's out of sequence. Right. So we'll come back to that. Okay. But I need to say that that prologue scene really hurt coming from a 2018 perspective because unrelated to the actual like plot of the movie, they're talking about how they're going to make such progress and after Barack, the next president's going to be a woman, probably a Latina, and it's just going to get- And a lesbian. Yeah, and it's just going to get better and better. And I was watching this and I was just like, oh no, oh no. Well, if it makes you feel better, another script Chris Rock is apparently working on is a black guy in the age of Obama who's not into Obama. Huh, interesting. So I think Chris Rock is looking to push some buttons. Like Kanye. Hopefully not that much, but you know, they did work together on this movie. Yeah. And Rock is working on a top five sequel, Hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. But he has been uh, working on a script for a while. Yeah, I guess it's a pretty open ending. Yeah, you can but, do whatever. Yeah, you just we'll have get to bring there. The characters back. Right. He said he wants to bring back Tracy Morgan and Leslie Jones and go from there. Yeah. Never a bad start to a movie. No. And hopefully Sherry Shepard. Oh my god, I love her so much. So anyway, we start off this movie, we're getting a news story montage via Charlie Rose. Another unfortunate <laughs> thing coming from 2018. And 
basically they're just giving us the rundown of who this guy is an info dump so we can move on and the big thing we learned there is that andre is marrying a reality star named erica long on bravo in three days yeah like their wedding will be telecast because she is she's a reality star they don't specify what it's called we don't know what show she's on probably not a housewife show because she is not married Right. But so we know that. And then Andre's told he's got to do an interview with the New York Times with this journalist, Chelsea Brown. And he's originally really reluctant because the New York Times film critic has eviscerated many of his movies. The critic is named uh, James Nielsen. And I love this line where the line in the review of Andre's last movie was, if Andre Allen put out another movie, I would not watch it if it were playing in my glasses. Yeah, there's some really great cutting remarks from the critic, but I can understand why he is so mad at them because they are hurtful. I can understand being mad, but also I would not watch Hammy the Bear. No, God, no. And one of the things is Andre is really excited about this new movie about Uprise, wanting to talk about the story of the Haitian Revolution. But in every interview, the first question he gets asked is when are you going to do another hammy movie which i think is really accurate as a reflection of franchise actors right and i mean we're supposed to realize that he's been off the scene for a while because he's been getting sober so i don't think he's put any new material out for a little while so people are expecting him to come back and just continue where he left off people see him in the street and start shouting like hey hammy hey hammy but Instead, he wants to take this new opportunity to go in a new direction and, like, start doing more serious dramas, telling the stories he wants to tell. But everyone keeps pigeonholing him in. So he's going to do this interview with Chelsea, played by Rosario Dawson. And right as soon as they meet, they have to go back to her apartment because she didn't bring her recorder. Right. And when we get there, we get some information. She's got a boyfriend. She's got a daughter. Her mom lives with her. Yeah. He's poking around. He finds out that she's a photographer so she's artsy and cool she also writes and she does other stuff and his response was yeah i love not getting really good at any one thing she also has a cool shaved side of her head she's a very alternative looking new york times reporter but she also freelances at cosmo yeah we under find a pseudonym because her mom starts reading out some of it the best slide from her mom is when she's talking about how she is trying to get out and date and she says i hear that being a cougar is a big thing but i can't find anyone who wants to be cooged i would watch a top five sequel of about rosario dawson's mom yeah she was great she's a fun character underutilized and so while they're at her apartment andre notices a bunch of books about cinderella and chelsea explains that her daughter for class has to write an updated fairy tale and is writing one about cinderella as a latina girl in new york who literally gets together with prince oh so funny i like that line because i had no idea who the prince would be it's prince and then it was just prince it's perfect i once gave that assignment when i was an english teacher really yeah i got some weird stuff the best one or definitely the most unusual one i got was called cinderbala which was like cinderella as a baller And I think literally played basketball, maybe? I don't remember. It was very strange. I like that it was just, it was basically Cinderella. They didn't change the name like a lot of people try and do. No, they they just just called her Cinderella. Yeah, they made it more Spanish. Right. I thought it was a very clever story for her Yeah, it's well thought out. She seems like a smart kid. Yeah. How old is she supposed to be? I don't know. She's also very fast on cell phones. Yeah, she's very fast on cell phones. She seems way too old to be Rosario Dawson's daughter. Which they draw attention to in the movie. Right. Like, he asked, were you 10 when you gave birth to her? Which is fair, because that's where the math looks like it lines up. I don't know how old Rosario Dawson is, though. Me neither, but she doesn't look that old at all rosario dawson was 34 when this movie came out what i had no idea yeah 
So even if her daughter is 14, that was 20. Hmm. So okay. like reasonable, yeah. All right, I take it back. I take it back. I thought Rosaria Dawson was like 28 She's or something. been around for a while is the thing. She, yeah, she has. Well, we look dumb. Yeah. All right, so that takes us to point number two. We look dumb, but we also are complimentary. Yeah. It's not like we were the wrong way. Mr. Lepp is throwing some real shade at us right now. Yeah, he's recovering from some pulmonary diseases, so he's going to keep quiet for a little while. I'm sure we'll hear from him soon. Someday. Oh, Mr. Lepp. <laughs> We well, both just reeked out yeah. and stroked him. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to point number two, where Andre and Chelsea are wandering through the streets of New York, and she's asking him questions. Originally, she starts off with some of the questions about Hammy and how life is, and he Andre gets, says, you know, yeah. why don't you just skip the half questions? Like, get to the real stuff. Right. I'm annoyed. I've answered all of these questions a million times. Like, let's do something real or not do anything. And so she immediately responds with, why aren't you funny anymore? And also, is your relationship real? Which is pretty cutting because he's supposed to get married in three days. Yeah. I forgot how fast this is. Yeah. The whole time with that wedding, I was struggling to tell whether he was in it for the publicity or if he actually loved her because it felt like it would go back and forth sometimes i think i landed that he did love her at one point and it was fading which is i think where the movie is yeah but when someone implies that it isn't a real wedding like when his dad says oh i'll come to your next bachelor party he does seem genuinely hurt yeah and i think it's also worth noting that he really does associate this relationship with his time getting clean right so that raises another interesting point where it's does he actually love her or does he love what she represents in his life i think that's possible yeah but so as this conversation is going on both chelsea and andre reveal that they're both sober they're both in AA. They're both actually, specifically, they're both four years sober. And he goes through a couple of versions of saying how it happened. He says that Erica helped him get sober. Then he says he got himself clean. So it's definitely something where even though they've decided to use this radical honesty, this AA principle, he's still guarded. So this is definitely much more candid than normal interviews. For sure. And this is where the prologue scene really fits in. Right. roughly in this part of the movie. They kind of just wander around the city, basically running errands for him, seeing people while he's in town. And And that, I think, reflects the aimlessness of the life of comedian comedy shows that Chris Rock talked about. Right. It is very, like, aimless wandering. It's very episodic. (laughs) And in between the actual episodes, the two of them are just talking about everything, broad life goals and stuff. And the whole time I was just wondering, like, wouldn't his publicist be there the entire time? I guess not. Now, he does have, like, a bodyguard with him, which she calls him out on. She's saying, like, look, you know... You can walk around and not get noticed by not having a bodyguard. Right. Like, if you have a bodyguard with you, people will pay attention to that. But he also does have a publicist. Because he... His it's played by Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Who doesn't really do a lot of work. He's barely in it. He's barely in it. Now, in the midst of all this, they're walking around. Chelsea is texting her boyfriend, Brad, throughout the day because it's his birthday. She's trying to get in touch with him. And Andre goes to the jewelry store to pick up the rings for his wedding. And he gets thrown off when the rings show up. And there are the rings that were ordered. But there's another huge one. This is very upsetting. He's really confused. He is trying to figure out what's going on. He keeps saying, like, no, those are the rings, but that's not one of the rings. He can't figure out what's going on. And then the manager comes out to explain something to him. And we cut to him on the phone talking to Erica, who informs him that the producers of her show thought that the rings they were going to get wouldn't show up well enough on TV. Yeah. Everything about this wedding is being directed by the producers 
producers of the show. Everything is being organized without him in mind at all. Yeah, there's a point where she kisses him towards the beginning of the movie, and she says, if it's not on camera, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that really does seem to reflect a lot of the way she talks about this. Right. It's understandable that he is this upset. Yeah, it's really, really rude. Yeah, it is. It's very hard to watch. You know. Speaking of Tracy Jordan. Yeah, speaking of Tracy Jordan. So it also definitely makes sense as they're talking that they are bonding this much because they're both in troubled relationships. They do have a lot in common. So as you can imagine, it is building up towards the two of them getting together and the groundwork is laid very early on. Mm -hmm. They keep wandering through the city. They ride the subway at one point, which I had an objection to because they jump on the turnstile, which isn't cool. Public transit is valuable and important, but it only exists if people actually contribute to it. Yeah, you should pay your subway fares. Don't jump turnstiles. I feel very strongly about this. I can tell. Public transit matters. How could I watch this movie on the bus if there were no buses? In the midst of this, they're talking about it. She asks him if it's the wedding that he imagined. And his response is, I'm a guy. I didn't grow up dreaming of a wedding. There is no Grumel magazines. There's no Grumel registry. And he says again, Erica helped me get clean. And then, Really reinforcing that idea. Right. And then we get to see what happened this time. And it is the getting clean does not seem to come from a super loving place. No, it does not. She's yelling at him on the it, floor, like, yeah. pull yourself together. She's exasperated, which is fair. Which is fair. It is fair. But it shows that it's... it's a different getting clean than we might have imagined right like when you hear oh this person helped me get clean you picture more of like a support supportive system stuff like that and while it was effective clearly that she did it this way it was still much less giving than you think and she does still come off as a little bit selfish in a way for sure so that then takes us to a hotel which is part of the press junket where chelsea suddenly runs into her boyfriend brad yeah he's played by someone from workaholics who shows up in a lot of random places a lot so we see brad he has not been in contact with her all day so she's been a little worried she's been slightly off and so she sees him coming out of the elevator she's like oh brad they have a conversation he seems a little weird and then his friend brian shows up with a key card and he tries to run away and and Chelsea is like, hey, Brian, get back here. And then it comes out. Brad is played by Anders Holm, which is the whitest name I've ever heard in my life. Oh, yeah. And so she just is like, is Brian wearing the shirt I gave you? And then Andre yeah. responds by saying, guys trade clothes in hotel rooms all the time. He's trying to comfort her because, you know, she figures out pretty quickly what's going on. And she's not happy, clearly. It seemed like the relationship had been shaky for a Rocky while. Rocky for a while, yeah. So she's upset. Her relationship's over, and they go into a liquor store to talk about it. Again, they're both sober, so this is not the best place for them to be. Right. So she's upset because she's introduced him to her daughter. Her daughter really really likes likes him. him. And Andre basically says, why don't you just explain what happened and she'll understand. And her response is, well, then it's just another in a long line of guys that she's met. So it's more about the fact that she's just tired of dating than it is that she's really upset about losing this man in particular. And in this exchange, he tells her that she's naive not to have noticed that Brad was gay. Right. Or at least by in all this. And she says that he's naive because he lets the network dictate his whole marriage, at which point he gets really mad and asks if they can just talk about his movie. Right. Which is trying to reset this relationship, which has become very freewheeling. All there's, over the place. There's an odd intimacy to it. They have that bond over being in AA, but also the aspect of sort of the presumption that they're not going to see each other again. Yeah. And that that frees them to talk about this stuff. But as it 
of gets too uncomfortable, he's trying to restore it to the original professional relationship. Basically remind us, oh, this is a newspaper interview. Right. But, okay, one problem I did have with this movie is it plays into the idea that if a man likes butt stuff, it means he must be gay, which is not true. Straight men can also... I don't think the movie says that. Chris Rock kind of is like, oh, that should have been a big giveaway. But at the same time, it's like, you know, straight men can enjoy a finger up the butt too. It's fine. We need to remove the stigma. That's the title of this episode. (laughs) Yep, there we go. We found it. But it's not even like a stigma. It's just something that shuts off an avenue of sexual or exploration for a large segment of the population that they might enjoy. That said, I do think there is something valuable in the presentation of this movie that Brad gets so fixated on it that it's something she does not particularly enjoy being a part of. Yes. And that creates a big wedge in the relationship. There's not open communication there. There's no give and take in their sex life anymore. Right. It becomes just about him getting what he wants. And so one time she gets really frustrated and... Instead of putting her finger up his butt, she takes a tampon, dunks it in hot sauce, and shoves it up his butt. There's a lot of white boy butt in this movie. There is. In that scene. It is just a lot. Waggling on the bed. Yeah, with a tampon string coming out. It was a little uncomfortable, to say the least. I thought it was kind of funny. It was kind of, it was funny. Earlier in the movie, it had been established that she always has a full bottle of hot sauce in her purse. Right. I had forgotten about that. I was impressed by the size, which means she also has to carry a large purse. When I was but... at Boy Scout camp, there were counselors who had holsters for their hot sauce. That's a little much. All right. Always had to have it ready. If they, like, shot a squirrel, they were ready to go. Oh, God. Ew. <laughs> Ugh. No. Pretty sure Mr. Lep has a bottle over here somewhere. So to get us back to what's actually happening in the plot, they're fighting, they're arguing. And then they start to make out. Yeah. They leave the liquor store without buying anything. Good. And then they're... They're in a bathroom. They go to the bathroom. She's basically yelling at him. And then... They take it into the bathroom to not cause a scene. And then he kisses her. No, he kisses her outside. Oh, really? And then they go into the bathroom to fool around. You're right. And then they stop because he's like, I'm getting married in two days. This can't happen. Right. And so he goes out first so that they won't be seen coming out together. Right. He goes out first with her phone so that he can make a call. Yeah, he has to call London to promote the movie. And after he makes his call, he sees an email come in. From her boss. And he is looking through her pictures Mm -hmm. and then sees the... So he's already snooping. Yeah. Then the email comes in, and he opens the email, and surprise, surprise, the email asks when her new James Nielsen story is going to be ready. So Chelsea is actually James Nielsen. We knew she used a pseudonym for Cosmo. She uses one for the Times as well. Yeah. So she comes back. He basically is like, a message came in from your boss, and he's really mad, so she figures it out, and she was like, you were snooping through my phone, and he goes, I was just trying to find naked pictures of you. Uh, Oh, probably a joke, maybe? I don't know. Maybe not. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But also kind of funny that he was candid. Like, I see where the joke was coming from, but... Radical honesty. Yeah, radical honesty. So then... But he's upset. He's like, what? We've spent all day, you've been acting like you're my friend, and you're the person who's been writing these really mean things about me in the New York Times. Right, and so he's... And it's like, it's not your blog. It's the New York Times. So, and then he storms out, and she's like, listen, that's the reason I wanted to get to know you, blah, blah, blah. And he throws, like, a line that was something. It was, someone has been brought to justice bin laden has been brought to justice when will andre allen be brought to justice yeah basically ranking him among terrorists who need to be stopped so i can understand why he is mad for sure so he storms off he goes to some theaters to try to see how uprise with a z is opening and he goes into one theater and it's pretty empty and he asks the guy from the theater he's like 
okay, but like, how do the other screens look? And they're like, no, this is the only screen we're showing this movie on. <laughs> yeah, so clearly he's a little down. The movie is not opening well. Not at all. And then he goes to a grocery store. Yes. And in this grocery store, he starts drinking a beer. Yeah, because in line with Chekhov's alcoholism, if someone mentions they're an alcoholic in a movie, they will probably drink by the end of the movie. He's been brought pretty low. The situation with Erica is very frustrating. Yeah. He is now angry with Chelsea. He's angry the movie isn't doing well. He feels like this comeback situation he's been trying to assemble, this finally famous situation he's been trying to assemble, is not coming together. No, I understand where he's coming from, for sure. But so he starts drinking beer in the grocery store. He gets up to the counter and puts five six-packs on the conveyor belt. And then he turns around and he sees a display for Hammy the Beer. And surprisingly, for someone who is struggling with alcoholism... And with the legacy of a bear character that he hates being associated with... This doesn't go over well. So he starts throwing his bottles of beer at Hammy the the Beers. And at that point, he gets beat down and arrested by security. The cops. Those are the cops. Yeah, they call the cops. The cops come. They have a video of him getting kicked repeatedly by the cops. Like, it's supposed to be a cell phone video because someone is in the store because he's resisting arrest. It's pretty brutal to watch. Yeah. And then he ends up in jail. And he uses his one phone call to call Erica. Who is furious. She is pissed it's all over the news already she is worried that it's going to ruin her special day she's yelling about how like she could have had anybody yeah and she chose him basically she says because she knew one day she'd need him to do something he didn't want to do and that's why she wanted to get him sober so he would owe her and she basically says this is all i have this is how i'm famous and if i'm not i don't i'm not funny i can't sing i can't act and then basically says like if i'm not famous i'm nothing she says about the wedding you have to choose me everyone needs to see you choose me right so no sympathy at all for her soon-to-be husband who has had a relapse and is having a really tough time meanwhile his publicist gets him out and tells him that he's gonna tell the press the booze was fake and it was all a stunt for building up to the wedding right oh her publicist it's her publicist yeah who like her publicist doesn't seem to like him already so he's yelling at him and then chris rock andre allen says i don't think going to a bachelor party is a good idea as a recovering alcoholic who just relapsed and they're like so what you have to go it's for the tv show yeah and the party by the way is sexy hammy themed yeah where it's a bunch of strippers wearing hammy the bear heads yeah so it's at a strip and not club. like a sexy like tiny bear mask like no, full-on full. mascot heads yeah this scene man it's an interesting take also at this party are a bunch of comedians we got adam sandler jerry seinfeld Whoopi goldberg just like hanging out i guess doing what they like to do it's kind of a weird sequence yeah and then at one point he asks them it's like have you guys been here before and they all say oh no this is the first time and a stripper walks by and says hey Whoopi," and Whoopi just goes oh hey janine or whatever her name is and then seinfeld says hi too and Whoopi just goes she's my niece and jerry says she goes to my temple the like good. one joke that they all get in yeah Now, he hangs out there. He's definitely not having a good time, but he does run into Chelsea there again. She comes to him. Right. And he asks her if the whole thing was a lie, if she was in character, just like trying to get in to write another scathing essay. And they wind up catching a cab together and they head over to the comedy cellar. Yeah. They get in the car with the driver because they're with Silk, I think his name is. And so he's like, I'll give you a ride home. So they get in the car. He's supposed to be driving her home, but she takes him to the comedy cellar, which also the 
opening shot in the comedy cellar is a signed picture of Louis C.K., another situation that doesn't look great from 2018. Yeah. But, you know, you also get Sarah Silverman and a lot of other famous comedians. So she's basically saying, like, you don't have to perform. We're just going to go and basically I want to show you where you come from. Earlier in the movie, he had said that the reason he wasn't funny anymore, her first question when they had started the interview. Later on, he answers it and he says he's not funny anymore because he's not drinking anymore. But he also hasn't tried to be funny. Right. He doesn't feel scared. Yeah. Because in the past, every time he's been funny, he was drunk or high or both. So he's too scared to fail to try again being sober. I do think that the comedy seller sequence for everybody involved suffers from the central problem with stand up on TV and movies, which is something that was first pointed out. I think it was on an episode of Alan Sepinwall's podcast, TV Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Where they were pointing out that no actual stand-up wants to burn their stand-up on, like, a movie or a TV show. They would rather develop it for themselves. So you're always getting, like, somebody's idea of a stand-up joke. So I always feel like it never quite lands. Yeah. It was just fine. Right. All of the comedy was just fine in it's that okay. scene. Like, the best comedy in this movie is when Chelsea and Andre go to visit Andre's family. And it's Jay Farrow and Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan. And just all these terrific Sherry comedians. Shepard again. All these terrific comedians just, like, firing jokes at each oh, other. Oh, yeah. That's where you first get the top five. They're talking about their top five favorite rappers. Right, that's where the title comes from, is they ask people who their top five favorite rappers are. Yeah. And that scene in the apartment is also great because it really shows like this is where he comes from but also the relationship between someone who's become famous and their old friends which you don't see a lot in movies where when Chelsea's interviewing them they're all basically like ah no I'm the funnier like I'm funnier than him I'm the funny one of the group they basically all say that I think it's also significant reflecting on that idea is that when he's on stage telling these jokes a bunch of his jokes are related to marriage stuff and he says that uh, no matter what you do with a woman if it doesn't end in marriage it's a waste of time yeah which says something about the way that he views all of this right and perhaps says something about why he's going through with this wedding despite being frustrated with so much of it it's you know interesting and so he and chelsea then leave and he's definitely really excited about having been back on stage right and he was getting lots of laughs everyone was eating him up so he was stoked he was pumped which brings us to our fifth and final point so, how does point five start? Well, Where are the, we? They're in the car. She's actually going home now. Oh, right. No comedy stop-offs. Stop and she's telling him, like, oh, you know, I've got a photo exhibit in L.A. in the fall. It's kind of, it's clear that this day has been really nice, but it's coming to an end. Right. It's winding down. She's like, uh, and we could see each other. But their real relationship is starting to reassert itself, too. Yeah. So she says, yeah, I'll be in L.A. for this photo exhibit. Like, oh, we could meet up. And he basically says... I can't do that. I'm going to be married. Because I'll be married, and you know how I feel about you. And so she kisses him and then walks away. Tears up a bit, and he says, wait a minute, what's your top five? She tells him. With tears in her eyes. And And then then gets out with just a take care. Yeah. He gets in the car. And and Silk says that if it were him, he would have gone with Chelsea. And so then he starts going through his gift bag from his bachelor party, which he had been made fun of earlier for having gift bags. And so it's nothing that would belong in a gift bag at a bachelor party, let alone It's just like sponsor swag. Yeah, it's like a candle and some nuts. And then the last thing he pulls out. Surprise, surprise, is a high heel shoe. Callback. Callback. Earlier in the movie, when Chelsea had said, her yeah. daughter's Cinderella story. Had said, like, she does what every woman does when she wants to see a man again. And then she explains, leave something behind. 
So she's left her shoe behind because she wants to see him again. And the movie ends. Which I kind of liked that it didn't actually end with them together. Yeah, that would have been too unbelievable. It would have been too much. Like, just having that last shot of him smiling holding the shoe was a good choice to end it there. Yeah. It was a nice little movie. Yeah. So what do you think? Is Andre's relationship with Chelsea and with Erica, I guess, believable? Um, If it didn't take place over the course of one day... That's the catch for me. Yeah, they have a lot in common, things to bond over. Shared struggles in the past can help bring people together. He was there to support her during a tough time. All things that can really build to a relationship. Over time. Over time. Also, it's never addressed... Like, he doesn't really ever address the fact that she's a mom, which, you know, is an issue in relationships. Well, this isn't a relationship, it's a day. Right. So I would believe it in a longer time frame. So where would you rate it? Um, like maybe a five. Yeah, I was thinking like five out of ten. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff there, but doesn't quite work on the timeline. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. In terms of Erica, I think that one's pretty believable. I believe it. Yeah, because it's. You know, publicity. Right. Uh, Do you think Andre or Chelsea are dateable? Chelsea, yes. Not for me, but I think she is dateable. She has a steady job. I mean, she has a kid, but that doesn't make someone not dateable. I mean, she seemed okay in her relationship until her boyfriend became, like, he was... Fixated on one thing. Fixated on one thing, and he was also a jerk to her. Right. And then, so that's okay. But I saw no indication that she was not dateable. No, not at all. Andre. I think Andre is dateable. He's he is. still got work to do clearly on right. staying sober. Yeah. But I definitely sure. think he's dateable. He's working on his career. He's working on what he wants to be and really exploring that. I think right now he should probably focus on himself. Right. But I don't think he's undateable. But I don't think he's undateable. I just also don't like the idea of dating someone who's famous. So not for you. So not for me again. But yeah, I think they're both dateable. Yeah, totally. Uh, If you did have to pick one person in this movie, who would it be? I want to say Leslie Jones because she's Leslie Jones. That's who I picked. But also maybe Chelsea's mom. (laughs) Those are the two people I had written down. (laughs) We're on such the same page all the time, Well, I had Chelsea's mom. I had Leslie Jones, who is really funny in this movie. She's great. Maybe Sherry Shepard again. She's got some funny lines in there. There's definitely a lot of good supporting cast to choose from in this one. Way more than most of our movies. Yeah. I mean, like, next week we're doing a movie where there's, like, four characters. Right. Do you think they would stay together? Or even, like, start a relationship? I don't know if they would start a relationship. I genuinely don't know. I could see that going either way. I really, yeah, I really can't say. If they got together, I could see it working. Yeah. But I don't think that's a given. Yeah, I think if it starts, it would go well. But I don't know if it'll start. Because if he decides whether or not to go through with the marriage is interesting. Yeah. There's no clear answer there. So maybe the sequel. Tell us something. We'll find out. Get on that, Chris Rock. All right. Now, one last thing before we start wrapping up. This is our 25th episode. Indeed. You know, we heard that from Marjorie. So in the spirit of top five and our 25th episode, what are your top five movies we've covered so far? And you can't do the Oscars. We know you like Call Me By Your Name. Okay, so these aren't the five best movies, but they are my top five and that I have, like, the best feelings associated with them. If you say B-movie, I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) It is not B-movie. But uh, Vertigo. Great. Like, I loved that movie growing up. Big Sick, another great film. A Christmas Kiss, because it's an annual tradition. What a gem. It's such a gem of a film. It brings me such joy. And similar to that, Shrek. Because I grew up with it, like, it's just a comfortable hug of a movie. And then I was looking through, and I just remember how much I enjoyed watching While You Were Sleeping. And I think that might be up there. such a good movie. It was so good. It was so fun. So I also had Vertigo and Big Sick. 
which I think are two of the best movies I, we've watched. Oh, for sure. In terms of like critical acclaim, too, for sure. Yeah, but also like well deserved. They're really good. Ooh, right. The other ones I had, I had Iron Man, which I had not watched in a long time and really enjoyed revisiting. Unsurprising. And I had Mr. Mom, which was yeah, a ton of fun. That was. And Can't Buy Me Love. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. I still stand by my top five, though. No, they're great. I'm surprised A Christmas Kiss didn't make it into yours. Fifi Fierce will be a little disappointed, I'm sure. Fifi Fierce can deal with it. All right. So that does it for us today. Yeah. Next week, we're going to be looking at a classic of the rom-com genre, almost like the ur-text of the modern rom-com. We're looking at When Harry Met Sally. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, so get excited. I had not watched this movie before watching it for the podcast, and it was a good time. Yeah, I was a big fan. I'm excited to talk about it. All right, so until then, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe, and say hey to us on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness. And you can always email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. All right, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? I mean, it seems like if you have your own Bravo reality show, you could end up with someone rich and famous. Oh, see, mine was similar. Mine was get a job as a bear cop in a movie. <laughs> Great. Perfect. There you go. Until next time, I'm Gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye.